The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery podcast. We're glad you're with us today. I am Reverend Dan Beckett here with co-host Reverend Michelle Vargas. Together, we share ways that spirituality and addiction recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your own recovery journey. We're basically a couple of recovery nerds and ordained unity ministers sharing our experience, strength, and hope on this spiritual journey of addiction recovery. We hope that something you hear today will be helpful to you on your own recovery journey. We invite your questions, comments, wisdom, and feedback anytime. Just send an email to spiritofrecoveryunity at gmail.com. Facebook users, you can message us from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner. And however you choose to reach out, please be assured that your anonymity will always be respected. Today's episode is titled Trusting God. Many of us in addiction recovery can affirm that we've never let go of anything that didn't have claw marks on it even when we were, in essence, clinging to a sinking ship. But we eventually find that when we become willing to try a new way, our lives begin to change. When we can truly let go and allow a higher power to provide guidance and direction, our lives begin to become amazing. Today, we want to share our experience, strength, and hope on learning how to let go, trust a higher power, and build a wonderful new life. Yes, when you said that thing about the uh, we've never let go of something that didn't have claw marks in it, it wasn't like all torn up and everything, you know, it'd be funny if it weren't so sad. (laughs) Yeah, right. It really is true. I mean, God knows there were things that I could have let go of a lot sooner than I did and uh, caused myself an awful lot of pain by not doing that. I, I, I think it's a common characteristic among um addicts that you know just we're tenacious you know we're tenacious we had to be tenacious um and so letting go is not our forte necessarily um i can remember you know so so in terms of what it was like before um not having these concepts in these um skills and these tools, feeling like I had to make everything happen in my life, like I was in charge of everything in my life, and uh, I was responsible for how everything unfolded, but I had to figure it out all by myself. I mean, that's a burden no one should bear, you know? I mean, it's twofold, right? It's number one, 
this misconception that I have so much more control and power than I actually do over my life, people, places, things, the world in general. And number two, thinking that I have to figure it all out on my own. That no wonder I drank. Jesus, sorry, but um, really, when you think of it like that, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah that's enough to drink over right there. Man, well, I, I felt exactly the same way. It, yeah, as you just described. I'm over here. Um, you know, you're preaching to the choir. I'm nodding up and down. <laughs> if that was an altar call, I'd be right up front. I yeah. felt like I had to take, take care of everything myself for whatever reason. Why did I feel that way? I'm not sure. I didn't realize that I felt that way. Right. And I had to figure everything out. And for me, I had to know how everything worked before. Like I had to <laughs> know right. what was going to happen in step 10 before I was willing to take the first step on, on any kind of path. And I, you know, I thought I was in control of my life and I looked like I was, and I looked like I was, but internally there were a lot of gaps that I would say that, um, you know, that basically for me, alcohol served to kind of bridge those gaps, you know, make everything work because I felt like um, always that, well, if I can go home and, and have, uh, have a few drinks, then I can pretty much do anything as long as it will end up in that place. And so alcohol became the thing that allowed everything else in my life to seemingly work. But of course, as we well know, if we're dependent on or when I was dependent on a substance to make life work, it works till it doesn't. Right. And then when it doesn't, it's a big, ugly, loud change. Or uh, what do we say? How, you know, how, how, how do you succeed slowly, then suddenly? That's how I got mm -hmm. sober, slowly and then suddenly. Or my, my drinking went, uh, got it completely out of control slowly and then suddenly. Yeah. You know, you brought up an interesting question. Why did we think that that was the way things were? Why did we think that? What is it about our upbringing, this culture that teaches us that um, we have to figure everything out ourselves and that, um, that, that instills in us this illusion of control over so many things that we really don't have control over? I mean, I'm thinking part of it is just kind of the American way, right? You know, uh, that you know, individualistic, rugged, you know, whatever that ideology is, that, that, that pull yourself up by your bootstraps ideology. And, um, and so that instills in us this idea that we should be able to single-handedly, you know, construct our lives and make them come out the way we want them to. And, you know, and, and, and when we ever doubt that we get pointed to the success stories, right? The entrepreneurs, the folks who did that, which are like one out of a gazillion, right? And yes. they get held up as examples. And, and I think it's a really damaging aspect of our culture. You know, um, we, there's so little that we have control over. And then, and then we're trying to place our control in the wrong places like we try to control all these things out there which we have no control over but no one teaches us how to control the things that we do have control over or that we have at least some influence over because control i don't even i mean i don't even have control over myself half the time let's face it there's so many things i don't mean that in like a crazy way but i just mean there's so many things you know 
acting upon us at any given time and so many factors, this idea that we are able to just manipulate it all with our sheer will is just really, I think, really damaging beliefs to grow up with. Like I say, when I think like, when I think of it like that, I think, no wonder I drank, you know? So, so what a relief when we come into the recovery process and we begin to learn this concept of letting go, you know, after a lifetime, however many years of, you know, holding so tightly to things and gripping things and trying to force things and, and feeling like that's the way it's supposed to be done. You know, that's, that's how you prove that you're a strong person, you know, and then recovery turns that all on its head. And it says, no, our strength is in learning to let go and learning to trust, you know, trust the process, trust life, trust the higher power and begin to allow things to unfold. All I know is that when I began to do that, my life changed drastically. Yeah, mine did too. And I have also that same sense now that like the word control and the concept, not super helpful. I mean, when I'm driving down the road, I need to control my car, right? I need to keep it in the lane. But, you know, much beyond that, talking about like controlling your life and, you know, making everything happen. And I echo what you said that we have all these examples that are held high as, you know, here are the successful people. Here's how implying, here's how this is supposed to work. And the problem is that I don't work hard enough, or I don't want it done enough, or I'm not talented enough or whatever. What is the difference between the hyper successful person and me is on me like something's wrong with me because i'm not doing that that's insane i think that whole everything about that is is insane and unhelpful and unhealthy and i'm glad to have let it go and i know for me you know we're talking about trusting god or we have that saying let go and let god pretty much the the same thing here that what that meant to me at first was to begin with the willingness to um see things differently not even do things differently so much and not even have different experiences so much, but to simply begin to see things differently. Let it begin with perception about what is going on because for, and and for me, that was a shoe in as an introvert, as um, someone who's very idea oriented, someone who's wired as an observer to learn how things work, that approach, uh, helped me a lot because I say, okay, I'm, I'm now willing to see differently. I'm willing to uh, accept that there is a thing, there is a higher power of some sort or other that I don't really need to define, but let's pretend for a minute that it's there. How would I know? Because I would perceive it. And so I can pay attention and Mm -hmm. see what's going on. And that was a big turning point for me was to go from kind of encountering the concept or at least a God concept that made sense to me. And there are God concepts that don't really work for me because they seem to me like they're more about whoever's telling me about them. That person wants to be in control of stuff and they need me to be different because they're uncomfortable. You know, that whole um, codependent kind of thing. Like I need you to not be gay because your gayness makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Okay. In what in what universe does that make sense? I don't know, but the, you know, there's more than a few people that feel that way. Yeah. Well, what I learned was instead to 
look at my own discomfort. I think yep. we do that in recovery. We look at, well, what's, what's my part in it? Not meaning, yep. you know, it's not a blame thing. What's my part in it? My part in it could be, I just showed up. I keep showing up for this abuse or whatever. You know, yep. what is my part in it? Because I only have influence over my part. Only, mm-hmm. only over my own thinking and then and, and even that it's not instant it's not total right I can learn over time to have more and more influence on my own thought processes but it all begins by paying attention and seeing differently just notice what's going on so I love that you said that about this possibility of seeing things differently and you know I was in my uh, mid early mid-20s when I came into recovery and Maybe that's an age when I think it's an age, at least it was for me, when you think you know everything, you know, you've just sort of come out of your family system and, and the ideas and values from your family have been instilled pretty deeply in you. And then you go out into the world, (laughs) rude awakening not every family works the way yours did. Not everyone believes the things, you, and you know, hopefully you're in a situation like a university or a community where you can start to bump up against those things gently and start to have yourself disabused of the idea that the whole world thinks the way that I do. You know, sometimes we have to bump up pretty painfully against things to begin to learn that um, there are different ways of seeing things. I know that I thought I'd grown up in such an open-minded family, but I learned out that I learned that there was a rigidness even in our open-mindedness. You know what I mean? There was a rigidness even in what we thought was our own progressivism and that type of thing. So I learned in recovery. God, recovery gave me so many life skills that I just did not get growing up. And I'm still learning this because I still tend to be opinionated and think that my way of seeing things is the right way. But this concept was introduced to me in recovery, that things may not be quite the way you thought they were, that there may be different ways to see things, Um, that things are not black and white, right or wrong, you know, that there is nuance, there is different perspectives, that you've got all these other people around you that are all having their own experience of life, and it may not be the same experience you're having. That was a revelation to me, like so many things in early recovery. And what, what it ultimately, the teaching behind that ultimately for me, many years later, is try my best to hold loosely to things. You know, there's nothing wrong with having beliefs, believing in things, but hold them loosely. This is part of being a mature, spiritually, a spiritually mature individual. And I'm not saying that I am one, but to hold things loosely, you know, this is what I'm thinking it is, but I may be wrong. You know, it may not, there may be other ways to see this. And that's all part of this concept of letting go letting go of what I thought I knew, what I thought was a certain way, what I thought was the right way and making room. It's an expansion. You know, I was so limited. I was so narrow and I'm still, you know, many years later in this process of expanding myself more and more to be less narrow, less limited. But the key to this whole thing, and I always say this, is that letting go sounds really scary or it can sound really scary. That's why the second step comes before the third. In the second step, we come to believe in a higher power. Then we let go. We don't let go first. You know, we begin to forge that belief that there is some goodness operating in this universe that is a mystery to me. 
And it doesn't mean that nothing bad's ever going to happen to me or everything's going to go my way. But I do believe ultimately that in this infinite love of God, that no matter what happens, when I let go, I will be caught in the loving arms of spirit. And that's what allows us to be able to let go. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Yeah, I love what we're talking about here. And I've had, again, a lot of the same or similar experiences. I was reminded with what you were sharing there um, about live and let live, right? Mm -hmm. when, when I, if I can hold on to my way of seeing loosely, I can allow you to have your way of seeing and it doesn't have to be the same as mine. But if I've got a death grip on my way of seeing and my whole sense of who I am is all bound up in it, then yep. I'm going to get upset if you don't see things the same way. Yep. And I'm going to want you to see it my way. And, yes. you know, all kinds of not good things can come out of just being too rigid with that. So I'm with you, that concept of, I, I picture it like a, uh, holding a bird in the cupped hands, right? My mm -hmm. hands are open. I'm, I'm making a cup is for a visual here. On, here's a podcast visual. I'm holding my hands <laughs> uh, together, making a cup out of them, picturing a bird sitting in there. That's how I want to hold on to an idea or a thing or a relationship or whatever. I don't, if I, I don't want to, I'll kill the bird if I put a death grip on it. Like, I want this never to end. I need it to always be this way. Right. I'm going to kill the beauty that's there. But if I give it a resting place and allow it to be so, life is, it's scary to do that. And I need a higher power in order to do that. Yes. Like you said, we, the steps come in order for a good reason, right? We, we come to believe and then we let go. Okay, yes. because there is something there that supports us. Now, for me, this took a lot of time to learn. This is yes. not an instant thing, that's for sure. I had to sort of begin um, my relationship or, or my, um, I call it leading a God-centered life didn't happen overnight, right? Mm -hmm. I had to learn it piece by piece and I'm still doing it. I do mm -hmm. lead now what I consider a God-centered life, but I can still get off the rails a little bit, but I come back. I don't get as far off. I don't get off for as long. And then I come back to center. But this was a process built over time, at least in some part of my curiosity. Like, what is this higher power thing? How does this work? Why do I feel different after I spend five minutes in a mm -hmm. silent prayer or a mm -hmm. meditation why do i feel different after that than before something is going on so not not being too quick to try and answer it right yeah. we joke why ruin a perfectly good question with an answer right yeah. we want to stay in the question that's where the growth is as yeah. soon as i answer a question i've just closed the door on the whole topic now i know and so i don't 
I'm not open anymore. I want to stay open. So just living from that sense of curiosity. And then, of course, we've got spiritual principles that underpin all this. We've got 12-step spiritual principles, which can take some time to see because it's not, it's a spiritual program, but it's not put forth as that overtly at first. I mean, it might seem to some that it is because it talks about God, but I mean, we've got step work to do. There are action steps, but what's going on underneath all of that is happening in the realm of the spirit. And then, of course, unity spiritual principles, which are very compatible and overlap a great deal with 12-step spiritual principles. So starting from a willingness to see differently, um, enjoying being curious, seeing that there are there are principles that underlie, underlie all this stuff. And that if I do the step work, and if I am willing to take time apart in prayer, that things start to change in deep and profound ways that aren't super obvious at the surface. At least that's been my experience. So trusting God allows me to live in a way that I never knew before that's way, way better than anything else I've ever encountered, but it takes some time. It took me time. It takes me time to kind of build up to that. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, and we always say, it's what I love about both unity and the 12 step recovery program. And by the way, if you are fortunate to have both of those on board, which we assume most of you listening are, that's the whole reason we do this podcast is because we found such a deep, uh, intersection between the unity principles and um, our recovery practice, that they just go hand in hand so well together. And we're so grateful for that. And they support one another. Um, But we always say, you know, don't trust us. I mean, not not don't trust us, but don't just go by what we're saying, try it out yourself. And that that's what they teach in the 12 step recovery program too. you know, this may not work for you, give it a try. You know, and all I know is when I tried, when I started trying these things out, my life got better. And I think all of us that are still around, that was our experience. We wouldn't be here years later if our life hadn't gotten better. Um, My life got better. You know, the third step was so profound to me, so profound. I, I remember, well, I don't remember all the details, but I remember taking the third step, literally on my knees with my sponsor, saying the third step prayer, which was not any kind of magic. The magic was what happened to me internally because I had, you know, we talked about this grip, this iron grip that I had over everything in my life, myself, my ideas, my beliefs, my my life, my everything. I just was holding on so tightly. And I felt this enormous relief when I took that third step. Wow, I don't have to hold so tightly. I can begin to let go. I can begin to let God work in me, whatever, however we describe that. To me, it's this action of the Holy Spirit. You were saying, why do I feel better when I sit for five minutes in prayer? Because we're activating something that's, it's always there, but it's not activated because we're not aware of it. We're not mindful of it. We're, we're completely caught up in our human selves and all of our drama. And I get as caught up in it as anybody else. But when I take those five minutes to sort of disconnect a little bit from my human drama, all of a sudden, I mean, I call it the Holy Spirit, but it could be, there's a gazillion different ways to describe it. Something is there. 
in that space. When I create that space, something rushes in to fill that space. The God, the presence of God, the activation of the Holy Spirit, whatever it is, that thing feeds me and nurtures me and comforts me and allows me to begin to let go. And it's life-changing. I mean, for me, it was just completely life-changing. And I began to practice the third step on everything in my life. You know, I just, it was so great. I just wanted to do it on everything, you know, okay, new relationship, turn it over, you know, potential job, you know, interview, whatever, turn it over. I just, I changed from like thinking that I had to figure everything out and make everything happen to like, you know what, I'm going to show up, do my best and then turn it over. What a great way to live. You know, this doesn't mean that we don't do any of the work and we just expect God to just, you know, we, we still have to, we are the creators, the co-creators of our lives. We still have to do the work and the, and the, the footwork and the, you know, heavy lifting we've got to do, but then we let go of the outcome. We, we show up, whatever the situation is, we do our best and then we let it go. And we trust that there is something else that's operating that's going to help us get to where we need to be. I've heard that described as I've got to do my part and let the rest, you know, let, let go and let God with the rest of it. The yeah. challenge, of course, is for me to discern what is mine to do in all this. What is the next right thing? Which yeah. of all this is for me to take action on and which of it is for me to let go of? Right. Right. Not unlike the serenity prayer, which in a sense, is like a fork in the road. Is it this thing or is it that thing? Yeah. Do I do I need the serenity to accept this or a courage to move forward on it, whatever it may be? Um, I think about the life that I want to lead because the, doing this over time has uh, allowed me to live the life that I truly want to lead. And one description yeah. I have of that, and I'm borrowing here from from Carl Jung and paraphrasing, but basically that I love everything I do. I want to live a life where I love everything I do. And if I don't love it, I don't do it. Mm. And I was convinced in the past with all the shoulds and the have tos that if I didn't do all this stuff, I didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Life was, things were not going to go well. Things were mm -hmm. going to be bad and, and I would regret it. And, and yeah you know, blah, 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 badness would happen. What I learned, though, is that when I can let go and let God when I when I have when I am leading what I call a God centered life, I can let go mm -hmm. of things. If I don't want to do it, there's a reason. And if I have the courage to go ahead and not do the thing I don't want to do and see what happens, it's always different than I mm -hmm. would have thought all kinds of things happen. I find out I didn't actually need to do that anyway, but I wouldn't yeah. have found that out if I just said, no, I don't want to do that. It doesn't feel right. So I'm not going to do it. But yeah. people will freak out if you say that to them. <laughs> like I only do what I want to do. I, I don't want to, if I don't want to do something, I don't do it. People will freak out about like, that. How you dare you live your that. life that way? Yeah. You can't do that. You've got to, you know, blah, blah, blah. all this fear comes up and I understand yep. man, because I, I was, I bought that. I, yeah. I subscribed to that program back when. But I'm telling you that there is a way to get to a place where I don't do what I don't want to do. So here's another way I've heard this said, uh, that's been shared with me. Uh, 
a, it's a definition of freedom, right? Freedom is when what I want to do and what I need to do are the same thing. Mm-hmm. So that's another mm-hmm. way of putting it. That might be a better way of putting it. But yeah. I had to I had to use that first way is sort of making a bold statement and a bold step and like jumping off of that cliff. Yeah. I mean, I was in grad school when I did that. If I don't want to do it, I'm not doing it. Well, what about all these assignments? What about this writing you have to do? What about this reading you have to do? If I don't want to do it, I'm not doing it. And mm-hmm. then I refused to do anything I didn't want to do. And everything worked out great. <laughs> it just did. I have no explanation for it. But that to me is how, that's what living a God-centered life looks like. That's what trusting God looks like. That's mm-hmm. what let go and let God looks like. Mm-hmm. It, it takes courage. It's it's a learning curve for me. It has been and continues to be so um, to determine what is mine to do and what's not. But I get I, slowly over time, I get more adept at it. Yeah. And just like I was saying, I can still get off the rails, but I don't go as far off, not as often. And I come back more quickly when I do. So I love the way you just, the second way that you put it, um, say that again, that you. Freedom is when what I want to do and what I need to do are the same. Okay. So, so to me, what's happening here is we begin to align ourselves with what's good for us rather than aligning ourselves with everything that's not good for us. When we start to live this way, we start to come into better, you know, we talk about thy will, not mine be done. At the beginning of recovery, that can sound a lot like, well, God wants this and I want that. So I have to not get what I want so that God gets what God wants. That is not a fun way to live. Let me tell you. And I know where you're going and it's not true, right? And if you start to put yourself in this juxtaposition where your will and God's will are at odds with one another, that's not a good way to live. So I had a sponsor that taught me to say, instead of saying thy will, not mine be done, to say thy will and mine be one. That was deep for me. That was profound because, and it took me years to fully understand that. And I'm probably still understanding it, but it it comes, okay. So part of it is developing this uh, view of the world and the universe that we teach in unity, that there's only one power and one presence, God, the good. Once I believe that God, the good, that goodness is ultimately the power in the universe, that changes everything, right? So we don't deny that bad things happen, but we deny evil as a force in the universe. So there is some bias for good in this thing we call life that I don't entirely understand, but I believe it because I've lived it, I've felt it, I've experienced it. There's a bias for good. This whole mess is going somewhere good. And I may not even always see it or understand it. In fact, I don't, but I believe it. Okay, so I want to align myself with that goodness. God wants only goodness for me. My understanding of God is that God is this force for good, this infinite love that is wanting to express more into the world. It's wanting to get more of itself. I get this from Emily Cady. God is wanting to get more of God's own goodness into expression. Through what? Through us, through animals, through plants, through redwood trees, through the ocean. It's all about getting more goodness and love into expression. So I want to align myself with that. So there's no, there's no um, at odds 
of my will versus God's will. Aligning those things is all about me coming into alignment and wanting that same goodness for myself that God wants to express through me. That that then has to unfold, however that's going to look in each of our lives. But wanting goodness for ourselves, wanting ourselves to be aligned with goodness is huge because we were self-destructive. That's what addiction is all about. You know, self-hatred turned inward, you know, anger and all that turned inward. Doing bad things that are bad for us, that hurt us, that hurt others. We have to start to want goodness for ourselves. We have to start to want to be channels for that goodness to come through us, to flow through us. And so that's what that means to me. And, and once we are in alignment with that, or the more, let's say, it's not a, you know, either or, the more we get into alignment with that, then the more that what you said becomes true, that what needs to be done and what I want to do begin to become the same thing. Yeah, and that's true freedom. And I love the way you put it, let thy will and my will be one instead of thy will, not my will. Although that's where I began. Thy yeah, will, that's where not a lot of us my began. Will. And that's okay. But I love that you're sharing that we can allow that to expand beyond that simple dichotomy into yeah. something much, much deeper than that, that is true freedom. And, and you know me, and we're both team Jesus here. I believe that Jesus taught a path to freedom That's up right. to and including freedom from death itself. Yeah. And I'll preach that till the end of my days on earth. I absolutely believe that that is the message that underlies the, all of it. And we, in a sense, in addiction recovery, have been given a tremendous gift yeah. The gift of motivation, right? Mm -hmm. The gift of desperation. Yes. The gift of, oh, I guess I'll try this way because that way, you know, I've heard addiction referred to as I'm committing suicide on the installment plan, right? I got, I've got <laughs> a 30 year plan to kill myself and I'm just doing yeah. it a little bit yeah. each day. My goodness. Well, it is time now for what we like to call recovery in a nutshell. And this is when we summarize the pieces of all of this that we've been discussing that we found most helpful in our own recovery journeys. So Michelle, of all that we have shared, in a nutshell, if someone said to you, I'm having trouble letting go, I'm having trouble mm -hmm. trusting God, what can I do that will help me trust God and create this life of freedom, the life that I know I really want to live? So like we always say, this is about trying it out. You know, the, the proof is in the pudding. We, we've got to try this out and see it work in our lives. So I would say, do what I did. Just start turning things over. You know, you got a job interview or a choice you need to make or a relationship you're not sure is the right thing for you. Whatever it is, take some time in prayer and quiet and, you know, whether you talk to God or how, you know, for me, it, it might go something like this. God, I think this is what I want. This is what I feel like I'm wanting, but I don't know if this is the best thing for me. Please guide me, you know, give me, or if you want to put it in unity language, you know, affirming God is guiding me in all things. I know that when I align with God, I am being guided to my best and highest good in all things. And then as we love to say on this program, do the next indicated thing. Just do the next thing that seems to be the right thing. There is no, you can't make a mistake. The universal GPS will reroute you. 
just keep, you know, you, you do what you think is the right thing, what is the best thing that seems to be indicated before you, and then you let it go. And you just, you know, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, and just do it with everything. And your life will change. I guarantee it. You yeah, can't I not agree. change. And it's when, and you're talking about progress, not perfection. Yes. I mean, how, how, how perfect is that? Ironically, no pun intended, that that's exactly <laughs> how it works. It's progress, uh, not perfection. The first thing that I thought of uh, in response to if someone's having trouble letting go, how, you know, how can I trust God? Try it for yourself. Just like you're saying, you know, we have this, we have this phrase, uh, take what you like and leave the rest behind. Why? Because what you like is that's what's there for you now. That's yours mm -hmm. to take up. If something doesn't resonate or make sense or whatever, who cares? Leave it aside. If it becomes, if it's truly important, it will circle it back. It will come back around. When yeah. it is all of a sudden, oh, now I kind of get it. Now, now I see that and it's helpful to me. Take yeah. what you like or take what's helpful and leave the rest behind. But try it for yourself. You yes. know, perhaps I would suggest if you want a practical suggestion with a daily prayer practice, it could be yes. two minutes of sitting quietly, observing what is transpiring within. That That's mm -hmm. enough right there. If you do that, the next steps will become apparent. And don't quit before the miracle. I hear yep. that all the time. And then Absolutely expect true. a miracle. Yeah. Expect it. And then that's just the next miracle. There's not just one miracle. Often the first big miracle that we point at is when the craving for the substance or the behavior ceases. And that yeah. is truly a miracle, but it keeps going. There's yes. more to it than that. And lastly, I would say, you know, become part of a community, join a home group, get a sponsor, work the steps and pay attention to what other people are saying worked for them because mm -hmm. you might hear something like, oh, I'm going to try that because yep. Joe or Jane said it and, and I like them. And it seems like that would work for me too. Hey, try what you hear from someone else. If it works, keep going. If it doesn't work, set it aside yep. and move on. Absolutely. And like you said, recovery is literally the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. The miracle keeps re-miracalizing itself over and over in different forms. And that's that's what we are so fortunate to be able to live and experience. So we have an affirmation for you today. And our affirmation is this. I let go and let God, trusting that all is unfolding in divine order for my highest good. You know, if you just said that every day, in fact, I think I'm going to write it and put it on my mirror. Yes, I will repeat that. I let go and let God, trusting that all is unfolding in divine order for my highest good. Amen. Yes. And it is. Well, it's happened again. You've given yourself the gift of another episode of Spirit of Recovery. At least we like to think of it that way. And we are grateful that you have. We hope that you found something in all of our blathering today that you find genuinely helpful. And we bless you wherever you are on your recovery journey. Yes, and as always, we invite your questions, comments, wisdom, and feedback anytime throughout the week. Find us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, or email us at Spirit of Recovery Unity. That's Spirit of Recovery Unity at gmail.com. We're so glad you joined us today, and we hope you'll join us again. And until then, don't drink like my co host. And whatever you do, don't drink like my co host. Instead, have yourself a wonder-filled week.
Hi, I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.